Welcome back to the Art Inside the Craft podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Glazier, and this is episode number 20. Today's guest has been called one of rock's finest narrative historians and is a New York Times bestseller. I first became interested in Alan Paul's writing back in the early 90s with Guitar World and then with his book One Way Out, The Inside History of the Allman Brothers Band. We deep dive into his beginnings of writing, how his connection with the Allman Brothers Band began, his move to China, and the book that he co-wrote with another legendary writer and musician, Andy Aladort, titled Texas Flood, The Inside Story of Stevie Ray Vaughan. He also explains the secret of how Andy Aladort is such a phenomenal guitar player. So let's listen in on that interview now. Yeah, so I got into music journalism just because I loved music and I love journalism. <laughs> so um, I started writing for my high school newspaper. I grew up in uh, Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I went to Taylor Aldridge High School and I was fortunate enough to, uh, we had a great high school newspaper. So I started doing that in high school and I didn't really do music. I just did whatever. I did lots of things. I won a national writing award my junior year for a story that profiled uh, two cocaine dealers. Wow. Um, it it was, got me in a little bit of hot water, which is, you know, I, I could do a whole interview just about that. But it was an interesting experience, and, and in a weird way, that, that little cocaine thing was a preview of, of the music journalism to come <laughs> in some way. Wow. Uh, I'm being a little facetious, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I just was interested in journalism. And, and I did start doing some music stuff even then, but it, it was just because it was it was stuff I liked. So I would do like a little column on upcoming concerts or <laughs> releases that I was excited about. Yeah, cool. um, and so yeah, as, I, as I continued on, I went to University of Michigan. I worked at the Michigan Daily uh, College newspaper. I did a lot of different things there. I did some sports reporting and some news reporting. And I was a creative writing major uh, my first couple of years. And so I started being on the literary beat. And, and so I got to interview authors when they came to town, which was pretty often at, at Ann Arbor at the time, which was cool. So I got to uh, interview Tom Wolfe and Allen Ginsberg and Joseph oh, cool. Heller of Catch-22. Wow. And they were all really cool experiences, uh, some more than others. Uh, Joseph Heller kind of upbraided me because I, he could tell I hadn't read his books. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good lesson. You know, I did do my research thoroughly. I'd go read articles and stuff, but he somehow caught on to me. Huh. And uh, I've always tried to be really, really prepared. And, and that probably was part of the reason that reiterated that. And I, I started doing music way back then because I was, I was really into blues. I actually worked starting my freshman year at Rick's American Cafe in Ann Arbor, which was a, a really cool music club hmm. that mostly had blues on weekends. It was on the circuit for Chicago blues people. So I saw... Coco Taylor, Lonnie Brooks, uh, Sun Seals, Albert Collins, Johnny Copeland, as well as people like NRBQ and Fishbone, Robert Cray, I saw there (laughs) at the start of his career. So really, really uh, cool stuff. And Buddy Guy was coming. And I went to the music editor uh, and said, you ought to write about Buddy Guy. You know, he's, he's this awesome guitar player. Um, his career was was pretty much nowhere at the time, <laughs> hmm. but 
you know, he was he was still a legend. He was coming to play, you know, in front of 100, 200 people or whatever at, at Rick's. And she said, yeah, that'd be great, but none of our music writers know anything about the blues. <laughs> it, was, it was really oriented towards alternative music of the time. You know, oh, yeah. this, was, this was in the mid-'80s. So she said, why don't you do it? And so I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> so I interviewed Buddy Guy, and I just, I just loved it. I just... I just loved it. I loved talking to him. I loved writing about him. And I never really looked back. I mean, I, I've continued to do all kinds of other stuff. And, and in my post-college career, you know, I wasn't, I was looking for newspaper jobs and I did some regular newspaper jobs as well, but I was always doing the music stuff on the side. And I found that I was better at it. And, and I think I was better at it mostly just because I was, I was so enthusiastic you know, and it, it's obviously everybody, I think, does a better job if they're enthusiastic and yeah, excited and passionate it. about something. Yeah, if you love it. And I love all kinds of writing. You know, I I'm a, I mean, I think of myself as a writer, first and foremost. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll write about anything. You know, I like writing about my life. When I went to China, I loved writing about, you know, my life there and about China and about living abroad. And I love writing about raising my three kids. But in terms of interviewing people and, and getting down, I just, you know, I've had an affinity for music and, you know, car career takes you, your, your passion takes you to a career and then your career takes you further, if, if that makes any sense. So yeah, for sure. um, I've kept doing that. Yeah. But for about 10 years from uh, 2000 till 2010, I think I was also a senior writer for Slam magazine and did a lot of basketball stuff as well. But, you know, and that was a really, really fun time for me and I, I love some of the stuff I did but but I guess in, in the terms of the overall arc of my career it's kind of a, a blip <laughs> you know it's not it's not where the the heart of it lies um yeah so and then yeah I think the other things you would ask how did I get my job at Guitar World came completely out of the blue it was an amazing experience it saved me it was it was life-changing because you know I had graduated college I worked for a year at a small newspaper in Hoboken uh that that job was cool. I learned a lot of stuff. I was also doing freelance writing on the side. I think it was during that. Well, no, it was a little after, but I started, you know, I interviewed Lou Reed. I interviewed Robert Cray. I was writing, wow. doing freelance writing and doing some cool stuff. But my, my real day job was editing this newspaper. I didn't really have any vision of how to make the music stuff my full-time job. And I moved down to Florida for a year uh, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. She had a job there. I was freelancing. I got a temporary job in New York. What well, was supposed to be a job, I came up back to New York. Two weeks into the job, a funder pulled out of this publication, and they killed the arts section. And I, I had been hired as the arts editor. So, oh, man. Um, I was I'd just driven up. I was living with relatives in New Jersey and coming into the city and I was really depressed. And I just thought, I, I just can't do this. And the only job I was offered, I uh, was set up by the editor of that paper was at the daily New York daily news, which sounds like a great job. Right. But it was actually during a strike. And so what they wanted me to do was be a scab oh. writer. And I, I, I refused. I just, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Like I said, I, I grew up in a union town, um, my father is a physician, not, not a union member, but um, his patients were all uh, union people. My grandfather owned a lumber yard. You know, I came from, in, in my mind, anyhow, like a working class 
background and a union background, even though, again, there was no union membership directly in my family. We grew up with like this tremendous respect for it. So anyhow, crossing a picket line and being a scab was 100% out of the question. At that moment, it felt like my only option. And so I just gave up and um, I started applying to grad school to become an English teacher, actually, was was my idea. And I would write on the side. Hmm. Uh, in the meantime, I, I had gotten a hold of Guitar World through somebody that tried to write for me at that little publication. And I was assigned two record reviews. I did them. They went well. I was really excited. You know, I learned later when I started working at Guitar World that people would call us all the time for assignments and we would just give anyone who called a record review. And um, <laughs> what, what we realized is, you know, most of the people just never even turned it in. And then the people who did, uh, a lot of them were horrible, but also some of them were good. And so we would actually find some writers that way. It was like a no risk thing to do but i didn't know that you know in my mind i had gotten an assignment for guitar world a magazine i loved i was a guitar player i read it so i put my heart and soul into it and i didn't have much else to do so i rewrote and rewrote listened to the albums probably you know 40 times (laughs) and i wrote these great record reviews and uh then i moved back to to florida and i was waiting to for grad school i just took the gres i was doing all that stuff and i got a call from that one of the editors at guitar world and he said hey i know you just moved back to florida but we have a job opening here and i'd like to recommend you for it but i'm not going to do it unless you would move back would you move back and i was like yes <laughs> totally <laughs> tomorrow uh cool and so yeah they hired me and you know i literally i never you know, I have a letter somewhere from the Harvard uh, School of Education that my application was never completed because I didn't send the, the check in. I just dropped the whole thing oh, <laughs> and <cool. laughs> uh, never looked back. Yeah. Huh. That's really incredible. You know, I, um, <laughs> I'm i glad to hear you say that because I uh, write album reviews for Inc. 19 magazine, Inc19.com. I do the same thing. Like I get an album and I swear it's nothing that I don't do anything but listen to that for <laughs> like two weeks straight. And I'm sure that they're just like, come on, man, just write the review and send it <laughs> in. But <laughs> for me, it's like, it's too, it's too personal and too important to just rush through, you know? So. Yeah. Well, it really paid off for me, you know, is how I approach things. And, and, you know, I think the article that really got me hired at Guitar World and they caught their attention when they you know beyond those reviews i did for them was a piece i did on the allman brothers for tower pulse magazine Ah. Um, pulse was a magazine that was distributed free in tower records which was you know huge at the time really a pretty good magazine and did a lot of writing for them like during all that period i was talking about i was i was freelancing for them and it was great but a lot of it was smaller stuff um and it, when i heard that the Alma brothers had a, a record coming out i i begged with my editor there to let me do it hmm. and they were like oh sorry we already assigned it and then they called me the, the other guy had a conflict or his and anyhow i got it oh cool. and i just <laughs> went all all in you know that's when i lived in florida i had time I went out and bought the uh, Dreams box set, which had just come out. Oh, yeah. Um, and I listened to it over and over and over. You know, I knew I knew most of the music, but I, I re-immersed myself. And I interviewed Greg, I interviewed Dickie Betts, I interviewed uh, Warren and Alan Woody, who were the new members. Mm-hmm. And then I kept going. I interviewed producer Tom Dowd. I interviewed uh, Phil Walden, who was the original manager. Right. And I, you know, really 
was the best story I'd ever written to that point, but by a large margin. <laughs> and it, you know, turned out to be a very influential thing because it put me on the map with, with the Allman Brothers in ways that I, at that moment, would have could not have imagined or had any concept that that would be an ongoing, yeah. you know, 30 plus year relationship. Well, that's kind of a, a perfect segue because my next question, I'm, you know, also a huge Allman Brothers fan and uh, I'm currently um, waiting through the audio from an interview with Kirk West. So what was kind of, I guess, the spark that got you um, that you decided to go ahead and write a full book uh, one way out about them? Well, um, you know. The, the answer should be it was the obvious thing to do. They're a great <laughs> band and hadn't had a great book. I loved them. I had a lot of access and interviews and I'd be an idiot not to do it. But, you know, I was kind of an idiot and I didn't think of it for years. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> and after my first book, Big in China, which was about my time living in, in China, which, which you know, I, I know we kind of skimmed over that, but you yeah. had asked why we went. It was my wife is a, was an editor at The Wall Street Journal and, and sort of almost as out of the blue as that guitar world job. She got the job as the uh, China bureau chief for The Wall Street Journal. Ah. She had no prior China experience. You know, that, that was just the right place at the right time because you know per person who was supposed to do it had a problem and couldn't go wow. so she threw her hat in the ring and at my urging which she was surprised I, I would do that but i had this incredible experience in china I, I i sort of turned away from all this music writing i became more of a performer i formed a band there played all over with three chinese guys and one other american we recorded an album it was on radio and tv in china it was an incredible experience so i wrote a book about it um, and I, I sort of thought I was done with a lot of this other stuff and moving to to the next phase of my life. But sh just a few months after I moved back in January 2009 and in March, you know, it's the Allman Brothers 40th anniversary. And they did that incredible run at the Beacon. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had stayed connected with Guitar World through all that time. I did writing even from China and whatever. And, and Brad Tolinsky, my good friend, longtime editor of Guitar World, you know, basically called me up and said, hey, it's the Allman Brothers 40th anniversary. Why don't we do something? And uh, I was like, sure. So so I did a, a cover story for Guitar World on that, which was able to utilize some of my old reporting, but also did a lot of new interviews. And the story was was great. You know, I, I, it, it, it gave me an excuse to go back through all my old archives. And it just I got the idea of like, you know, I, sh I should keep going with this. I mean, it was five years from that until One Way Out came, actually came out. But that but that sparked the idea. And I guess. You know, I had to put out my Big in China book and go through that whole process a little bit. And by the end of it, and I was thinking, what am I going to do next? You know, that that was just sort of staring me in the face as as, as something I, you know, could and should do. So, yeah. So I went for it. And and you know, you mentioned an interview with Kirk West. I should just throw out that you know, my friendship and relationship with Kirk is really what brought me. Um, to the to the inside circle of the Allman Brothers, you know, it's a question I get asked a lot. How did I how did I end up with such access and stuff? And, and really, it was it was through Kirk, and it was through, you know, I had twenty five years, I guess, or twenty twenty. I'd have to sit and count, which I'm not going to do, but <laughs> twenty plus years of experience of interviewing these guys and being around them before I even contemplated or started writing a book and. Uh, you know, it's not that I was 
had a long game thinking I'm going to write a book. But on the other hand, like you need that much time to be trusted. You know, guys like Dickie, Bats, and Greg Allman, they, they have been around so much. They've been so ripped off, felt abused by journalists, uh, sometimes sometimes rightfully, sometimes I think they, you know, not rightfully their, their feelings, but, um, sure. <laughs> you know, they had a lot of experiences and, and they are slow to open up and trust people. And, and by me writing so many stories and then being able to see and me coming around and I, I was, I, I was playing the long game in the sense that if I, I, I didn't, I didn't try to like write sensational things that might've gotten me a lot of attention for a week, but then I would have been banned right. <laughs> so, yes. from there. So, you know, I treaded that line. Of, I, I never, any access I've ever gotten to the Alma brothers or anyone else, I've, I've always thought of it that I'm just like, I'm there for you. You know, I, I never lose sight of the fact that I'm a, I'm a journalist, I'm a reporter, I'm a scribe. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm there for the, for the reader and, and to observe things and to tell a story. And and that's that's what I really like to do. So I, I think of myself more as a as a storyteller, an observer, and someone who can try to get to the to the heart of things. It, not so more so than like being a critic. And that does really come through. Um, I'm actually waiting on um, Texas flood to to show up in the mail right now. But um, you know, obviously, I've read one way out, and and that really does come through. That that's what you're there for is to kind of serve the story and and get there their side of it out more than you know <laughs> like yeah you said, thank you get well those, get those salacious tidbits and um, be on the yeah ads. i'm excited for you to read texas flood you know i i think in some ways it's it's better book to be honest <laughs> but but i mean just because well one i i knew what i was doing more you know because i had the experience of having done this two you know it's it's a more simple story and i don't mean that Stephen ray's story is simple because it's it's poetic and profound and and cinematic um which is why it's made for such a great book (laughs) but it's one person's story and 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 everybody else's vision is sort of told in the service of of stevie's story which isn't to say their stories aren't interesting i mean jimmy vaughn's life is fascinating and like the first 40 50 pages of the book are practically a bio of Jimmy because you can't understand Stevie until you understand that Tommy Shannon, uh, bass player for Stevie, his story is incredible. You know, he played at Woodstock with Johnny Winter and then ended up like, you know, completely broken down, addicted to drugs, unemployed, in jail and halfway houses. And he he told us this stuff. But it's all the story of Stevie. The Allman Brothers is the story of so many people. It's the story of Dwayne. It's the story of Greg. It's the story of Dickie. It's the story of um, Barry Oakley. It's the story of Warren Haynes and everyone else who who passed through. Um, and and so it was it was sometimes you know it's a challenge to to keep that story focused because you you have to have enough information and understanding of all those people. And and I and I I didn't mention JMO and Butch, who of course are as important as anyone really yeah. um but everyone everyone is as important as anyone <laughs> so that that's that's what that's the challenge there you know and, and I, I do feel good about what i did but you know i'm no different than, than anyone else i think that that every every writer feel and every every artist feels like they would like a chance to redo everything they ever did <laughs> so you know and, I, and i'll admit that I'm, I'm there as well 
I'm uh, I'm discovering that as I'm going through a bunch of old uh, old interviews. I was actually just editing one last night, and um, I'm like, man, why didn't I get the audio better? Why didn't I ask this? But uh, you you live and learn. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, w- one of the things I've done um, through the pandemic, I'm still in the middle of it. Actually, is digitizing a lot of my old cassette interviews. Oh, and great. It's wonderful. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do with them exactly. You know, so, some of them for sure I'm going to um, find a way to share. Um, but I'm going to also have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to like get over the fact that some of some of them, especially with the, some of the older ones, it's like painful for me to listen to myself. <laughs> you know, just yes. uh, so sometimes I just talk too much or I ask bad questions or, or I miss follow-up questions. That's, that's actually a thing that drives me the craziest. Hmm. Um, where, where I just, I'm like, no, no, wait, ask them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, especially for the people who are deceased now, which, sure. which, you know, sadly I have plenty of. So uh, I do listen to, to some of those and I'm like, I can't believe I had so-and-so on the phone. and didn't ask them such and such. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's kind of a nice, um, uh, segued into the Texas flood. Um, so like I said, the mines ordered, it's coming, but I wanted to ask, first of all, how, I mean, obviously you and Andy have kind of worked together. Andy Alador have worked together, um, in the past, but how did you guys, I guess, kind of decide to work together on that particular project? Mm-hmm. Well, basically what happened was, so, uh, one way out came out, it was, it was successful. And, you know, so I had to, what am I going to do next? You know, <laughs> I had briefly thought about doing something really different. And then I thought, well, you know, why reinvent the wheel? I love doing this. It, <laughs> this worked and, and, and what else could I do? But it's hard to come up with another artist who I think is as worthy as the Almond brothers and worthy of my time and had a great story and story hadn't been told and everything else. And I kept coming back to Stevie, and I had written a really extensive uh, Guitar World cover story on Stevie as well, that based around the uh, the box set that came out, and and uh, in about 2000, and I interviewed a lot of people for that, and and, and I had become pretty close with Jimmy um, in 1995 when I, I went down to Austin for the tribute to Stevie Ray. He put on and covered it for Guitar World, um, but I had one big, big problem with Stevie. Uh, I never interviewed him. Um, oh. Unfortunately, he 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 died in uh, August 2000. I started working at Guitar World in uh, February 2001, so just a, really a few months later. I, and I, I'm sorry, I'm saying 2000. It, it's 19, 1990, of course, in <laughs> <Yeah>. 1991. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I was a decade off there. So Stevie died in August of 1990. I started working at Guitar World in February 91, to be clear. And so anyhow, I had never interviewed him and i had used in in that story i wrote for guitar world stuff from andy allador's interviews we're friends we both work for guitar world and so it was you know andy gave me access to that stuff as just part of the team and so if i was going to write a book i wanted to have those interviews and it's not because just that they're interviews with stevie they're great interviews with stevie you know andy is a great guitar player he played with stevie a little bit before he ever interviewed him which I think is significant because that's how do you relate to Stevie Ray Vaughan? Well, by playing guitar with him. Playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the interviews that followed, I think, were were extra good because of that, in, in my opinion. So basically, I just called Andy. <laughs> I said, "Hey, I'm going to write a book about Stevie Ray Vaughan. That my I have a publisher who wants it. 
Um, and I want your Stevie Ray interviews. And, and I didn't know if he, you know, it's a lot, a lot of work and commitment to write a book. Uh, I didn't know if Andy wanted to go all in. Um, I, I was open to that. And I was open to if he didn't just like working out a licensing deal where I'd pay him something and mm. give him, you know, give him credit. I hadn't fig- we had I didn't really figured out how to do that. But it never became an issue because he wanted to to go all in. So we partnered on it. You know, it, it, there are some ways that writing a book together was really, really challenging um, <laughs> because it's it's a very personal thing. We're both, you know, busy. Andy had a lot of other stuff going on. So you know, you, you know to get focus at the same time could be hard. But um, in the end, it took a little while for us to figure out our, <laughs> our system. But in the end, you know, from a reader's perspective, I think all you should really care about is the book is better for us having both worked on it, you know, p- partly because, um, you know, it was like having an editor. I mean, every single thing he put in the book, I would read and, and, and question. And sometimes we'd <laughs> fight about stuff and take it out and vice versa. I mean, it, was, it wasn't one sided to be, you know, it's both of us. So. It, it was sort of like it was like having an editor, like a moment by moment editor. Hmm. Instead of it wasn't like writing stuff and then having it read. It was like being edited as it went. Anything he added, I was all over. Hmm. Anything I added, he was all over. So you had to think about things more from the start, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So I, I think it was it was good, and there were also times where you know one of us would be. Um, Dig, you know, getting an interview with someone that we've been trying to get and getting through that and figuring it out. And the other could be working on something else. So it, it made it a little bit more efficient in that way, although probably overall was less efficient <laughs> in the sense that we <laughs> talked about things so much instead of just doing them. <laughs> yeah. But all that talking <laughs> paid off. You know, I, I, I do feel I feel really good about where we ended up and that we did it together. I don't know if you've kind of already answered this, but in the same way you did with the Allman brothers, but um, what was it that you were, I guess, not seeing out there already? Because um, I mean, you know, like I I read on your page that this was really the first time that like Jimmy and the guys in the band had had kind of opened up to somebody about um, that experience. So, right. Well, similar to the, to the Almond brothers where I, I mentioned that I had all these many years of experience with them that, that, you know, got them, allowed them to trust me. You know, Andy and I both had that. Andy has had a very close relationship in the last though, 20 years or so with, with, uh, Tommy Shannon and Chris Layton. He's recorded with them. He's, he's done a whole bunch of work with them and with Jimmy on, Stevie Ray Vaughan reissues and liner notes. Um, so they knew him. I, I also had a very long relationship with him, especially with Jimmy. Not quite as in-depth as Andy's, but more in-depth than most. So we had that. They really had never said their piece in a book. Um, Jimmy had never cooperated with anything. It's still very painful for him. Well, I'm sure. You know, from the beginning, Jimmy... You know, to, to summarize, when we first talked to him about it, he said, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to talk to you for this or not, because I don't know if I you know, want to deal with this. I wish there wasn't a book being done because it just stirs it all up for me. Mm. But I'm glad that you're doing it if there's a book, because I trust you guys. Wow. And it took oh, probably a year 
from when we first talked to him about it until he actually started doing new interviews with us. But he was helping us indirectly from the start because there's a lot of people that we started contacting who literally wouldn't talk about Stevie for a book unless Jimmy said it was okay. Oh, wow. um, including, you know, including relatives, including some bandmates, ex bandmates and whatever. And Stevie, uh, I mean, sorry, Jimmy gave uh, us the thumbs up. So <laughs> people were contacting saying, is it okay to talk to these guys? And Jimmy said, yes. And so the word got around Austin and around, you know, the world of Stevie Ray Vaughan that, you know, Jimmy says it's okay to participate. There's no problem with it from him. And that was really, really helpful. <laughs> then, so he was, he was very, yeah, he, he, his, his approval was helpful before he was actually cooperating. And then um, once he did start talking to us, he was, he was incredibly insightful. And he told us some things about Stevie, about himself, about his family that he had never talked about before. So, you know, I felt really good about that. And, and I think Stevie and the Allman brothers are similar to, to go back, I think, to directly answering your question in that, you know, they both had these incredible stories that had sort of been told for years, but there hadn't really been a definitive book. You know, with the Allman Brothers, there was uh, Midnight Riders, which yeah. um, the band really didn't approve of and didn't like. Um, but but I think it's a pretty good book. Uh, <laughs> but it, it it has its limitations and it didn't really include anything in the 90s of note because it came out, you know, in the middle of that. Right. There was a whole lot of history after that book had been published. And and and, and the author had done a series of interviews uh, with the core members while the band was broken up. But he had no more further access to them once he started writing the book. Sure. So there was a there, you know, I, it, I don't think it's a terrible book at all which some people in, in that Allman Brothers camp would say, <laughs> but, it, but it had its limitations <laughs> and there was more to say. And, and with Stevie, you know, there's a book called Crossfire that came out like a year or two after Stevie died. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, it had no cooperation from anyone in the inner circle. No, no Jimmy, no, no double trouble, almost no family members. And so, you know, we, we had all of that. And plus, we had a 30 years perspective on Stevie. Sure. So I, I think that we all knew, everybody who ever saw Stevie Ray Vaughan, or, or I guess even listened to Stevie Ray Vaughan, knew that he was incredible talent. But uh, <laughs> it, sometimes it's hard to see someone who's a contemporary in the light of the all-time greats. And I think 30 years after his death, it's clear that he was, in fact, one of the, the all-time greats. He wasn't just great for a guy you could go see Saturday night or whatever. <laughs> whatever. And and just, you know, a little bit of time and distance puts puts that into perspective, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I can't honestly remember um, a time since I picked up the guitar at 12 years old that you know, I I wasn't either listening to the Allman Brothers or Stevie Ray Vaughan or you know Jimmy and in, in his various bands, and so that's just incredible that you've had uh, the access and the ability to kind of write those stories somewhat from the inside. And um, I mean, I just really appreciate that <laughs> the work that yeah, you're doing thank with, you. those, with those guys. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate you appreciating it. <laughs> uh, and and it's it's like um, you know in in all 
sincerity, I, I, I take it as a, um, I, I mean, I take it as like an obligation, you know, it's like, I, I do understand that it's, it's an honor and, and it's a serious thing. I mean, I, you know, there have been times where people, you know, like old timers uh, around the Allman brothers, you know, there, there's always a certain level of criticism I've gotten from people who are like, you never met Dwayne, you know, how can you write this book? And it's like, well, you know, I mean, people write books about Julius Caesar <laughs> and right. Ulysses S. Grant and Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. And nobody says you didn't meet him. You can't you can't write the book. I, I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, and I'm fortunate in, in these cases to have a mix of, of both because I, you know, certainly did know, you know, Greg and Butch and, and every other member of the Alma Brothers except Dwayne and Barry. But and, and the same with Stevie. I knew everyone except Stevie, and that that's a big except. <laughs> but um, you know, that's that's what writing and reporting and, and you know journalism is. That's what history is, and and you know, so it's if you take your job seriously, which which I feel like I do and and, and always have done. You know, you overcome that. It's not. I'm not pretending that I was in the first row at the Fillmore. I mean. <laughs> yeah. I was I was five years old when Fillmore was recorded, so I wasn't there. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think it's something that can be overcome, yeah. and and I do take I do take it really seriously. I mean, that's that's just the thing I would say. I I I feel like I take what I do as seriously as you know, if you're like the the White House reporter for the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or whatever. Uh, you know, you, you, you need to treat it with respect and take it seriously. And, and I, that's how I feel. And I mean, it seems like obviously with, you know, the Almond brothers, all you have to do is go online and you will find out how fanatical people are, you know, and how protective they are of, you know, the original six band, but you know, you're, you're yeah. doing the best you can with not having those guys there and, and. You know, it's some of the greatest, I think the greatest um, interviews and, and information out there is coming from you. So, <laughs> yeah, thank uh, you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's uh, it, it, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, there's always it, it's funny because um, there was a time where like I didn't take the band Little Feet really seriously ah. because Lil George was I mean, I love the original Little Feet. I was like, oh, I don't want to go see Little Feet. You know, Lil George is there. That he's the band, mm. and I thought that with the band at one point when Robbie Robertson, you know, they, when they reformed without him, and uh-huh. you know, that's like ridiculous. And then I, I reflected on it. And I thought I've had my whole career based on you know the Almond Brothers post Dwayne Almond, <laughs> and <laughs> right. you know, yeah, they they've added Chuck Liddell, they added Warren, they've done all these things, and they've transformed and they're an incredible band and and little feet are too and the the band was too so uh, you know i came around on that <laughs> thank god um and i just think it's it's uh it's really important to keep an open mind you know about bands and about everything in life really right. but um as reflected you know to this conversation in particular uh, to to music and to use your ears and you know, I mean, it, you know, sure, there's a scenario and there are bands where they could add, add a lame guitarist and say, ah, that's not the Alma Brothers, they're lame. But that's not what they did. That's not what happened. Yeah. And so you, you need to judge everything by what's actually happening, not your vision of what might might have happened. 
the, that makes that, any sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I have to, of course, mention that um, Scott's now playing with Little Feet and uh, man, that guy, you know, his his attention to detail is incredible. <laughs> it's just he, he posts stuff all the time about, um, you know, how songs should be played. And he just posted something the other day about he's been playing one of their songs wrong and kind of explained yeah, how the guitar I, set I, up. And oh, I, man. I saw that actually. Yeah. 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 That's no, nice. that, that's I, 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 that's absolutely right. And it's like um, Scott and, and and Andy, you know, who played with Dickie Betts for twelve years. Yeah, it's the same. And and you know, it, it's the exact same thing that I was just talking about, related directly to music instead of writing. But but it's the same exact concept, which is what what you're talking about is like being really serious and treating it with respect. And it's like. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of the right analogy, but, you know, Little Feet and the Allman Brothers and, and Greg Allman and Dickie Betts and everyone, they are artists just like, you know, Shakespeare or or uh, Monet or whatever. And so when you have the opportunity to play with them, you treat it like that. You treat it seriously. You don't take it, you know, and, and the, the reason that Scott, is so good at it and Andy and, and Peter Levin and people like that is they treat it that seriously, but they breathe life into it. They don't treat it like it's in the museum, right. you know, that it's, that it's bound and it's stuck in Amber. So I, it, it's really, it's like a fine line to treat it like that fine art, but also to tackle it like you're going to do it. You know, like it's your thing too. Right. There's a really fine line there, but th these guys that we're talking about, they they tread that fine line, and that that's what makes them special and unique, and why we love them so much. <laughs> yes. I'll I'll sidetrack us for one more one more little thing, and then I've got one question, and then I'll let you go. Sure. So I had probably I think it was four or five years ago a 15 minute encounter with Andy um, up at Applehead Studios. And it was during uh, the time that Rich had invited all the guys in, uh, Mark and Sven and, um, right. you know, Nico and those guys to come record that album that kind of became the unofficial first Magpie Salute album. And, right. um, and I was in the control room. And after their, after Andy had his interview with the guys, he kind of came in there and was talking to uh, Michael Birnbaum that, uh, you know, kind of does a lot of the stuff there co co-owner out there and um everybody else kind of wandered outside and was talking to you know rich and all the guys that were kind of hanging around and i just kind of sat there and picked his brain you know 10 15 minutes uh just i thanked him for the interview how incredible his questions were and um it's just it was just an incredible experience for me just to kind of sit down for just a short amount of time and just learn like, <laughs> you know, a year's worth of questions I would be able to ask him in that one one moment. And uh, right. And That's cool. Well, he's amazing. yeah, <laughs> Andy is a very, very, as, as you know, uh, and anyone who pays attention knows he's he's incredibly knowledgeable about music and about guitar and and you know he's he's like america's guitar teacher you know <laughs> there was a period <laughs> yes. there yeah the period from i don't i don't know what making up the date so i could be off but you know from like 1988 to uh 2008 or something where he just like 
taught a majority of people who learned how to play guitar learned things from Andy mm-hmm. and and they still are to a huge extent so it's it's pretty cool and and he's another one who transcends a lot of lines you know he's also a writer and and he's such a great player who has a lot of personality and style in his playing <laughs> yeah but but then can really break it down i mean uh, a lot of people who are great teachers aren't great players <laughs> a lot of people who are great players aren't great teachers it's not always completely compatible, but, but Andy just, you know, excels at both. So, you know, again, that's, that's what made him such a great partner or part of what made him such a great partner for, yeah, you know, for, for Texas love. It's kind of funny to watch his, um, his live streams that he'll do like through Facebook and people will just pop in and be like, uh, play purple haze and he'll just play it. And then he'll be like, Oh wait, I, I got to adjust this thing and he'll change something. It sounds just like it. And then they'll say, you know, play an almond brothers. Okay. And then he'll rip off like <laughs> half of some incredible solo. And you're just like, my gosh, how does this guy do all this stuff? It's yeah. nuts. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you part of how he does it. I mean, ultimately, you know, you can never totally explain uh, <laughs> anything, right. It's like any kind of greatness and, and, you know, and I would, use that to describe Andy's playing, but he plays all the time, mm. every day, a lot. Wow. Um, in a way that I, I never, ever have. And, 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 you know, it's one, one of many differences between us as, as players, you know, I've, I've thrown myself into, into writing and reading and, 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 and to, and listening and, and, you know, I love music and I love playing guitar and I, I certainly have put in some time on it. But I've never had that drive. I've never had the patience to to do to do that. And it and it is, it is, it's part of the skill. It really is. It's, mm. it, and and any of the greats, of, you know, you talk to Warren Haynes, and believe me, he's put in his time. <laughs> and it's like, you know, very few people are are born with. Uh, incredible skills i mean there are people of perfect pitch or whatever and things that are incredibly helpful but every great musician you know just like every great athlete you watch put in tons of time to make it look so easy and effortless yeah (laughs) yeah not long ago i actually just talked to um larry campbell and um you know it's the same thing he said he gets up every morning and grabs a a mandolin or a violin or a guitar or a banjo or whatever he's trying to tackle that day and he just sits there and plays it and 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 hones that craft even more you know it's yeah cool. no it's 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 an ongoing endless thing uh for these guys and and i realized that pretty early about myself that i i, I didn't have that i just i don't have that i don't have the patience i don't have the compulsive personality mm. and and it's just not you know and so I, I realized that pretty early about myself that music was going to be something i always loved and continued to do but i, I never was going to be one of the greats <laughs> um and so i if i'm going to be one of the greats it would have to be in something adjacent which you know is what i've tried to do because it's it it, it really is part of the part of the skill set is is that that drive you know it's like we we when andy and i when Texas flood came out, we were down in Austin at, at the end of the first week and we had an incredible event um, at book people in Austin. Tommy Shannon was there and signed books with us. And that night we had an event at Sea boys club where we played and Tommy played with us and WC Clark and all kinds of people on our way in. Andy said to me, I hope I can do this. I'm, my, my playing is terrible. I haven't played in <laughs> I haven't played in you know, three days and touched my guitar because we've been so busy. And I said, 
come on, Andy, stop it. <laughs> but, but he wasn't joking or fishing for compliments. Right. He was, uh, you know, because for him to have not touched his guitar for a few days because we were so busy, you know, driving around Texas and promoting our book, it, it really put him in like a weird place. Wow. <laughs> He's like, I don't know if I can play. And I was like, Andy, first of all, you're going to be a hundred percent awesome. And second of all, if you are like 10% diminished, um, you're still, it's going to be incredible and nobody will notice. Nobody would notice. <laughs> yeah. But I've heard things like that from all the greats that we're talking about. Again, mm-hmm. like it's just something it, it's, and, 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 and it's, it was an interesting insight for me, d- during those years where I, I worked for Slam and interviewed basketball players, a big part of what, what I did was the old school story. So I interviewed, you know, uh, Alex English, Larry Bird, yeah, um, yeah. Bill Russell, Clyde Frazier, all the guys that I loved when I was a kid, basically, and, and, and even older. Um, but what came through over and over with them was that same compulsion and, and desire and drive to make themselves better and to improve themselves. And, and, and even with people like Michael Jordan, who are such marvelous, marvelous athletes, you know, it's easy to just think they just go out and play. And it's, it's just not true. It's just never the case. And it's not, it's not the case with all your favorite musicians either. <laughs> it really comes from hard work, you know, yeah. and, and of course, creativity and, and, you know, everything else that you need, but, but it, all that stuff doesn't get anywhere without the hard work. Yeah. Well, um, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is, um, or just kind of mention is I'm really enjoying the lowdown and dirty emails. And, and I think you're already kind of super active with your fan base through social media. And, uh, I was just kind of curious, like, is this, um, just another way to, for you to kind of cut through, um, all the social media stuff and get your content directly to your fans or what was kind of your, uh, impetus behind (laughs) the emails? (laughs) Yeah, thanks. So, um, yeah, a, a mix of things. You know, I, I do like interacting with people and, and, and social media is really valuable for that. But I also kind of was getting sick of just like providing so much content to Facebook, just like this billion dollar company. And, and uh, you know, I don't get paid for it. Right. Which is fine. I mean, I you know, that's part of the deal. It's been really helpful to me in, in my career. And so it's all great. I have no complaints about it. But I just am sort of like looking at it from a little bit outside and going, well, and I'm not getting paid for the Lowdown and Dirty blog either, by the way. (laughs) But um, at least I'm sort of controlling it and nobody else is getting paid for it. And and I feel like I can write at more length. And so uh, uh, I am doing a lot of music-related posts. I mean, uh, yesterday was Eric Clapton's 76th birthday and I – you know, edited and put up a story on the making of Layla because I had it, but running a big story like that on Facebook or whatever wouldn't make sense, you know? And uh, I'm finding Substack to be a pretty cool vehicle for doing more long form stuff. And the formatting of it allows you to really easily put in um, photos and more excitedly, excitingly videos. And I think it's, it's, you know, since I'm writing so much about music, mostly other people's music, but to some extent my own and my experiences, it's just cool to be able to put in clips (laughs) of the actual stuff. And um, I have been digitizing all these interviews and they, they do have sort of a podcast audio feature. And I, I don't know exactly how or when I'm going to do it, but sooner or later, I'm going to I'm going to start sharing uh, more audio as well. Oh, fantastic. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I always enjoy that when they pop in because, you know, like you say, it definitely gives you a little more control and you can put in more stuff than, you know, you would over on Facebook or another platform. So I'm really. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's just a it's really it's just a mix. I I don't have any grand master plan, you know, and (laughs) and truthfully, I usually don't. You know, uh, (laughs) I've been fortunate that I'm I'm sort of improving it and, and. most of the time it works out and sometimes I waste some time spinning my wheels and <laughs> go going down dark, you know, deserted streets. But, um, for the most part, uh, these, you know, things have worked out for me. So I, I just keep trying new things and, and I'm, I'm really enjoying this and I, I, you know, hopefully the audience will keep growing and I'll keep doing more and different things. Um, Thank you again to Alan Paul for the time and sharing some of his stories with me. I can't suggest enough that you get on his email list and follow along with his social media and writing for the Wall Street Journal. It's just incredible to me that a fellow music fan is covering such a wide range of important musicians for all of us to appreciate. I would also suggest you grab any and all of his three books as they are beautifully written and Alan really has a knack for getting to the heart of the things fans want to know about the artists he interviews. As always, I have to thank my sponsor, Black Hat Bone Productions, and my Instagram and website will both be linked if you want to follow along with the most recent concert photographs or writing. Up next is my episode with Alan's co-author, Andy Allidort, and it's just as fantastic as this one turned out. So stay tuned, and I'll catch you all down the road. Thank you.